everyone and welcome to episode 67 of the Retrospectives podcast Prince of Persia the Sands of Time. My name is Patrick Arthur and I'm joined as always by my co-host James Turlings. How you going Pat? As well as a very special guest Chris Durston of the Philosopher Raga podcast. Chris, did I pronounce the name of your podcast correctly? Yeah, I mean I don't know. It's it's spelled <laughs> how it's spelled. However you want to say it works fine. I've been a longtime fan of your podcast ever since I discovered it through a um, mutual friend of ours, uh, Moses, aka the Well-Read Mage. You're you're part of his network, right? Yeah. So um, the the Well-Read Mage kind of started Philosophy Raga, or it was a, a production of it, kind of in conjunction with the podcast that that he does himself. Um, recently, he's rebranded, so it's now thepixels.com, I think. But uh, Magecast, the podcast, is still very much a thing. He's still trading as the well-read mage, as it were. Um, so, yeah, it's a good time. T- tell us a little bit about the podcast, because I always try to summarize it to others as philosophy 101 using video games as examples and a method by which to explain those philosophies. So it's not a podcast about the philosophy contained within the video games the video games are just the medium by which you i guess break down these very complicated ideas for your audience yeah it's it's certainly more a philosophy podcast that uses video games to kind of make these examples than it is like yeah as you said a, a podcast about the philosophy of video games so um each episode i'll take kind of an idea a thought that someone has had throughout the history of philosophy um, and try and break that down in a fairly you know accessible way using a game as an example and it's not always sometimes it's a slightly weird link so um, I was talking about like the nature of reality I think using Dark Souls as an example or how we learn things or something like that um, so it's sometimes a little bit tangential but I like to think that it means that people can get to explore these ideas in ways they wouldn't usually otherwise because I think philosophy can seem a little bit intimidating sometimes and it doesn't have to be. The uh the Dark Souls episode was uh naturally the one Pat and I gravitated <laughs> towards. Um of I actually quite enjoyed it quite a bit. Um I th- rationalism was the topic of that one. It was it was a good show. I I really enjoyed it. I think I'll uh, be subscribing for more. Thanks. Yeah, e- each season that you do seems to be you kind of pick a broad idea, right? Because I also listened to the Ace Attorney episode and it was quite funny to we we've just done Ace Attorney just last episode. It was quite funny to hear you describe him as the ultimate rationalist when it's a game where you put a parrot on the stand because the game <laughs> seems to celebrate its um its ludicrous nature at the same time that it's uh that Phoenix Wright is uh, being rationalistic. It's a bit of an interesting contradiction. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a contradiction in the testimony, isn't it? But, you know, we're, that's where the fun <laughs> lies, I think. So that's, that's kind of where it's fun to explore. Also, before we started, you mentioned that you were also an author. Um, is, it, is it just um, fiction or do you do video game stuff as well? So, yeah, I spent kind of the best part of 10 years writing pretty much exclusively about video games, um, which partly was because I really loved it and partly was because I was pushing off writing fiction because I was kind of scared to. Um, Mm. So I recently collected a bunch of the video game stuff into a book, which is now available to buy, and I'll plug that at some point, I'm sure. Um, Yeah, I do also do fiction now. So I published a novel called Each Little Universe last year. That's getting republished in a few months, actually, in the second edition. Um, And there's a bunch of other short stories in anthologies and things, but I won't go on too long about that. But, um, But yeah that's what i do yeah no it sounds um it sounds really interesting i i love writing myself but uh as always the issue is time and i gotta spend that time oh, yeah. playing video games instead 
So, you know, time is precious. <laughs> um, so thank you once again, Chris, for joining us. Um, we are, of course, the Retrospectors podcast. Each and every fortnight, we play through classic games of the past with the intention of figuring out if they've truly stood the test of time. The key thing about our show is that we are not a nostalgia podcast. We're not here to appreciate and understand these games in the context in which they are produced. We're not here to reminisce about our feelings about this game when we were younger and use that to frame our judgment. We're here to review and discuss these games critically as if they were released today amongst titles released in the past couple of years. And yeah, that's our show. That's our angle. Um... So we're doing Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. This, is, unlike our other episodes, is not a sequel to a game we've done, but a prequel. Way, way back in episode three, we covered Prince of Persia, Warrior Within, which is a game I hold in very high regard. I'd picked it. And of course, the reason we did that is because, you know, the series is based around time travel. And so obviously I had to do the sequel before the prequel. That's my story. Uh, is that is that really the reason, Patrick? I feel like one of the number one questions I got near the start of our show is why the hell you did this game before Sands of Time? Yeah, and uh, ever since people started raising that question, we have wisely decided to start doing the first game in series most of the time instead of a sequel for no good reason. But in this instance, we did do the sequel, so it's a prequel to the things we've discussed. So before we talk about Sands of Time, I think it's valuable to revisit our thoughts and opinions on Warrior Within, because obviously the games we played before can frame how we feel about the series as a whole. And throughout this discussion, I'll be referring to Warrior Within and the things that Sands of Time does differently, for better or worse. So um, we'll start with you, Chris. Are you familiar with uh, the other Prince of Persia games in the series? I don't know whether I would say familiar. I've played them, um, but not for a little while now. So I think I probably first played them um, a while after release, I think. Um, but certainly like uh, quite a few years ago now. But I have I have fond memories. Yeah, so um, James, you don't have fond memories, do you? I remember a lot of complaining about our Warrior Within when uh, we were talking about it. Yeah, so the PC version of Warrior Within is an absolute piece of shit, and I would not <laughs> recommend it to anybody. Uh, I had bosses fly through the ceiling, um, rendering the game unplayable. I had constant crashes, that kind of thing. To this date, you know, 67 episodes into the show, Warrior Within remains the buggiest game we've played so far, in my opinion. It was like a complete mess at times. Um, Further than that, I really didn't like the repetitive combat in the game. Like, very early on, um, my biggest criticism was that I found out that if you chokehold enemies, like, all the other enemies in the room will stop attacking you, which means that the easiest way to you know, get through the game is just a one-by-one chokehold everyone and there's zero variety. Um, but the platforming was fucking excellent. Um, I think to this day it's one of my favorite kind of platformers. Like, I enjoyed um, the platforming in Warrior Within more than I enjoyed the platforming in something like, I guess, Uncharted, which is a bit similar. Um, and I had to, you know, give the game credit where credit was due. It was really excellent. So I was hoping, jumping back into Sands of Time, that it would not be too much of a downgrade from what was, you know, excellently done in Warrior Within. And I was actually even higher than you, James, because I wasn't aware of that exploit. I never was 
never used it. I love the combat system in Prince of Persia Warrior Within. I think it's excellent. Uh, as long as you don't use this exploit that you identified, uh, the the way that you used grabs and you kind of had this chain input system where you could you know, start a grab and then chain it into a kick or, and you were free to swap between those attacks as you went was really strong. Like you, I love the platforming. And I think on revisiting it, um, my major problem was structurally. I thought the first two thirds were excellent. And the final third was just kind of like a mediocre, you know, trawl where you were just kind of going from place to place with no real rhyme or reason. Um, but overall, I think Warrior Within is excellent, and that's why I picked it, uh, you know, two years ago now. So um, just to briefly describe uh, Prince of Persia, um, the Prince of Persia is a, Sands of Time is a reboot of a 2D platforming uh, side-scroller series. It was first released in 1989. There was also a Prince of Persia 3D game released in 1999, which... Boo. was very suspicious because <laughs> it's a Prince of Persia, it's a 3D Prince of Persia game that has tank controls. And I'm sure there are fans of this game somewhere out there, but I'm very skeptical I ever want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. But Patrick, Resident Evil showed us how much we love tank controls. <laughs> how could you say that? <laughs> yes, Resident Evil certainly showed me the potential of tank controls but i can't imagine <laughs> prince of persia would be a good fix for, for, fit for it uh, if you've never played these games before they are linear action platformers um sands of time is set in persia during the 9th century ad or a you know fictionalized magicalized version of the 9th century ad uh, as the game begins the prince and his father's army are besieging a maharaja's palace they successfully defeat that army, and the prince loots an artifact called the Dagger of Time, with the king taking the uh, titular Sands of Time. Um, on their way home, they visit the Sultan of Azad in India, and the evil vizier, who gives off some major Jafar vibes, if you've ever seen he Aladdin. Is, he is Jafar. Like, he is Jafar. Yeah, he's even got a line where he goes, give me the dagger, in exactly the same cadence that <laughs> occurs in... Uh, Aladdin, but I love Aladdin, so I give it a pass. Do you mean the Disney movie? Because this yeah. game actually, you know, Prince of Persia actually predates that movie. Not this game That's specifically, weird to but think. the series. Yeah, <laughs> oh, like the it, original Prince of Persia came out first. Yeah, that is. I, I guess the the figure of the evil vizier is a is an old one. Um, but yeah, I think specifically the the design and the voice acting direction is probably uh, to take over, <laughs> take after, you know, uh, Jafar from Aladdin. Um, so, so this evil vizier tempts the prince into using his dagger on the sands of time. And when he does so, it unleashes hell. Sands sweep through the entire palace, turning everyone into sand monsters, except for the prince, the vizier, and a mysterious girl called Farah, who you learn is the Maharaja's daughter. They're all protected by artifacts in their possession. And the prince must work with Farah to reach the sands of time and try to undo the evil of the corrupting sands. Um, we'll be avoiding spoilers for this discussion, uh, but, you know, we'll be incidentally touching on moments in the story. But um, do not fear, we're not going to be spoiling the ending or anything like that. 
So, time to talk about the video game. I think the best place to start is with story discussion, and specifically, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of the story framing device that's used in Prince of Persia Sands of Time, because it's an interesting way to tell a story that you don't really see very often. The prince is essentially narrating what is happening in the game retrospectively, and uh, this is indicated that whenever you die, the prince says something to the effect of, oh, wait, that's not how the story goes. And I find that hilarious. You're a big fan, are you, Chris? Oh my gosh. I I don't know whether I would say I'm a, I'm a big fan of the framing device, but I do think if you start thinking about how he's telling, how he must be telling the story, it becomes really, really funny sometimes. Um, like the idea of him being sat there and just going, so then I fell into these, sp- no way, that's not what happened. and and sometimes like the way the gameplay works because you can rewind time is sometimes you'll fall into spikes multiple times before you run out of sand and die so he's just there going so then i fell into the spikes but luckily i rewound time and then i fell into the spikes again (laughs) hang on that's not what i don't know where i've gone with that one i found it very charming like um it is it is a bit silly you're absolutely right but um i quite liked it um when whenever you save your game he says oh shall i continue my story from here next time um, in his over-the-top British accent. Um, yeah. And I thought it was just a cute way to frame the story. And I think that even though it's a small thing, it does a lot to add to the flavor and charm of the storytelling. I think it makes a lot of sense because of the Arabian Nights kind of vibe of it, right? Which is someone telling stories. FF10 does a similar thing with its story presentation. It has the main character narrating the events up until a point through the game. And um, something that I really like that it allows you to do with this setting is that you can have um, the main character like give their musings of what's happening in the story when like it wouldn't make sense for them to do that while fighting all these enemies. You know, they're Mm. not going to stop and ponder the situation they're in but it absolutely gives you know it makes sense for like a narrator to be able to give their thoughts and feelings of the situation while talking about these you know frantic events um and the the prince does that quite a bit through the story i don't think he does it like he never says anything super profound or uh, really interesting um but i do like the little you know the little uh, narrative flair that it provides it's also worth noting that it's not entirely told in this fashion it's not entirely you know little did i know the trouble i was getting into we do get a lot of internal monologuing about his current feelings particularly with regards to farah and oh um God. it's quite ent- entertaining seeing his um his feelings about her change over time. I That hurt my soul to listen to, honestly, near the end of the game. It was like, please, can we just move on from this? Um, I felt... T- tell, I th- us, tell us more about that, James. What, what do you mean it hurt your soul? The prince, it's intentional for his character, but um, there's this point in the game... Um, where, you know, he starts to indicate that he's having feelings for his companion. Um, and the, like, to begin with, it feels like you're listening to, like, a young, very young man, um, give his very unsophisticated opinion of women. (laughs) Um, it's very, it's kind of cringy, to be honest, to begin with. Like, he does develop a bit, but, you know, like, right at the start, I was like, can we not do this? I do think there's, they use the, the narration to give him character development that, as, as you alluded to, wouldn't have been possible if, like, he wouldn't just stop and say these things in the setting, but having the narration means you get to know him a bit better. And something I picked up this time playing it, which I don't think I did when I was a kid, is that at the start, his forces are besieging the place that you find yourself in, right? Like, I think when I was a kid, I just assumed 
this was his home that was being attacked and he was trying to save himself mm. or something but the, the narration reveals i'm here attacking this place and he's, he even says something to the effect of i wish i could tell you i was really sad about this whole war stuff but actually i was just really excited to like show dad that i'm a good warrior um and mm. so you get that insight at the start into actually him being maybe not the most likable or at least not having the most likable motivations and he does get to develop over the game in ways that otherwise he wouldn't have done but i think there's a temptation with narration to kind of oversell like let's really tell people what he's feeling and as you say sometimes that can come off a little bit unsophisticated when he's thinking about Farah, especially but he should be un unsophisticated i mean he's a prince the game set in the ninth century ad i mean they are literally taking these women as slaves oh yeah so it makes sense that that is the place he oh no start i don't from. i don't disagree that it doesn't make sense for his character mm -hmm. um, it makes perfect sense for him to be acting this way i just like didn't want to experience him talking about it um i thought it was kind of interesting that like obviously the prince and his father are not the most you know morally sophisticated characters right from the get-go but i did enjoy how you know because you're listening to his narrative narration talking about himself right and obviously he himself thinks he's pretty great uh for the most part so i did kind of enjoy that weird disconnect between his actions and the way he was portraying himself at times i thought that was quite enjoyable like it makes sense oh, right like a person always yeah. sees themselves way better than they actually are right that would have been fantastic if there had been um, an instance in the story where he had actually just outright lied, right? But you could see on the screen that he was doing something different than what he was yeah. claiming to have done. I mean, like, you could go all kinds of weird routes with that, and it would probably get very complicated very quickly, but that would have been fun. Yeah, unreliable narrator stuff, particularly when it's very obvious <laughs> that there's an unreliable narrator. I think the game still wants him to be a hero, though, so they yeah. probably take it easier on him than, um, than they could have, and it leads to something that's potentially a bit less interesting so patrick did you did you enjoy the story as a whole did you like the plot the the individual narrative writing um what stood out to you the most so i mean the plot beats are extremely simple um yeah. you're trying to get the sands of time um the way the storytelling effectively works is with your interactions with farah that's her name right farah yeah your interactions yeah. with farah who's the Mar maharaja's daughter and who teams up with you to try and undo the evils of the princes, you know, unleashed on the palace. And um, I actually really enjoyed this on a, on a couple of levels. Um, the first of which is that I just found that interactions fun and entertaining. There are multiple times within the story where the prince says, okay, you can tag along as long as you keep up. And then immediately... Farrah runs ahead of him and the prince can barely keep up to her. <laughs> and there's a couple of times where you get that kind of wry humor occurring. But I think the other thing I really liked is that it wasn't simply a story interaction that existed between these two characters. It was reinforced through gameplay interaction. So over the course of my time playing Prince of Persia Sands of Time, I grew attached to the relationship between these two characters, if not as romantic partners, at least as partners um, in trying to achieve, you know, in camaraderie and trying to achieve their goals. Yeah, something that games do very poorly, I find, is that when you have, you know, a party or a team of people, um, they generally do this thing where the main character or the player character does everything, and I fucking hate mm. that. Um, in this game, there are multiple sections where 
uh, there was a puzzle, and Farrah would actively help um, doing parts of the puzzle. Like, uh, there was a lever on the other side of this, you know, long drop, and she would pull it for you. Something like, like something as simple as that uh, lends so much believability to this character being with you on your journey for me that I feel like a lot of games just do so poorly by having you do everything. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, it's, it's good that you also have different strengths and weaknesses. You know, the prince is far better at platforming, but Farah is um, more nimble and skinny, and she can get into areas that the prince is unable to and they use this very cleverly to create these multi-part puzzles at times it gets a bit too repetitive there's one puzzle in particular where you're just going down this um the, you're just I know exactly the staircases you uh, <laughs> and you do it like you do it like six times and it's, it's exactly the puzzle. same thing six times in a row and i was like yep i get it they're working together we don't need to do this six times but but for the most part i was sold on their relationship as comrades comrades throughout the game and i think it does a good job with its storytelling reinforcing that i think like the experience overall of playing sands of time is not really the experience of chasing down the sands right it's more the experience of kind of doing stuff with farah and getting closer to her um and mm. as you say that comes across in in the storytelling in the way that they interact but also in the way that they do actually depend on each other to solve problems um which I think it's, it's something that games can do kind of uniquely well when they do it well, which they don't always do, um, but is like demonstrating that actually you cannot progress without this person's help. You actually do have to rely on them and that builds like a genuine connection in a way that other things can't really do. This is something that I actually think um, Prince of Persia Warrior Within does better, at least for the first two thirds. Um, you go to the Island of Time, you meet the Empress. The Empress says, there are these two clock towers you need to... You know, you go the mechanical clock tower and the garden tower to unlock the bars on these doors. So, and I feel like it did a really good job breaking down structurally, like what your goals were, uh, in in each major part. In Sands of Time, your goal is always to reach the end of the room, wherever that happens to be. So, one of the reasons the story doesn't feel very hefty is that you don't really know where when you when you reach the guard barracks for example you don't know where the guard barracks is in relation to your final goal you're just well if i do enough bits eventually i'll reach the end yeah it's like there's a ledge here and there are ledges nowhere else so it must be this way it's like the 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 whole palace has conveniently you know toppled down in such a way that the rubble will lead me to my destination hmm. um there's no like there's no non-linearity it's a completely linear tale um with a linear progression through the story but honestly like for the gameplay point of view it works perfectly fine um i will just uh cite probably my favorite story moment in the entire game where you have to work to activate the the uh, defense system. That was the best puzzle in the whole game, and it was like right at the start. I was like so sad when there wasn't more stuff like that. But it's just got a hilarious payoff. I I, I just I just thought it was excellent because um yeah you're responsible for making platforming around the palace far more <laughs> difficult than has any right to be, yeah, and the traps so do funny. nothing. Yeah, the traps do nothing against the sand monsters. So I, I got a, I got a laugh out of that once I realised what was happening. And the wonderful thing about that, of course, is like you say, the the traps you have just set off. A, they're only in places that the prince could reach, so they're specifically designed <laughs> to keep out someone with his specific skills. But B, they can only be surmounted by someone with his specific. So someone really put a lot of thought in the architecture into making the palace of Azard 
possible but difficult for this one guy to get through. But I mean, <laughs> it's interesting that you say you liked that puzzle. I don't like that puzzle as as a as a gameplay no. thing because of how how slow it is. Like, um, I'm not a fan of of the bits where the game kind of slows down because because I think it's at its best when you're doing things quickly. Um, and so I find it just kind of a bit, I don't know, to me, it feels like a slightly weird excuse for like, we just kind of want you to have to do some geometric stuff while this amazing voice actor gets a chance to like go for the Oscar. I mean, and that, that is worth <laughs> it, to be fair. <laughs> he's yelling at you with that super raspy voice. It's, it's, yeah. uh, did, did you think that the puzzles in Warrior Within were done better? Is there, is there something about the specifics of these puzzles that's a problem? Or do you think just intrinsically slowing down for puzzles is a problem in this game? I don't think it's that I think the puzzle bits are bad. I think you, you need some kind of element of of puzzling. Although sometimes, like like with the traps, it sort of stretches your suspension of disbelief a bit that this is what you would have to do to proceed. Um, but I think I really quite like having to do puzzles that involve... Um, you know, executing things with with some skill, right? So when there's a sequence of switches, maybe you're under a time limit, you have to kind of complete a particular set of obstacles with skill to be able to solve solve this puzzle. So it's kind of simultaneously a bit of a thinking exercise, but also a, a gameplay test of skill. Um, so I don't think I enjoy as much when the puzzle amounts to like you kind of effectively just standing still and doing doing something, if that makes sense. You like when the puzzle's integrated with the like the core gameplay, right? Yeah, because that's that's what it does kind of really well. So I kind of I, I guess to me it, it makes sense for it to use that as much as it can. Yeah. So for example, you were more on board with like the planetarium puzzle where you have to you know uh, align the pole vault bars attached to these planets in the correct fashion. Is that more up your alley, or do is it more that you prefer to be it to be timing based uh, action as opposed to I need to use my brain to get this set up beforehand? Do you know what? Now now that you're asking about it, I don't really know. I thought I had an opinion on this, and now I'm not sure I do. <laughs> like because what I wouldn't what I wouldn't do is is go, hey Jordan Mechner, you shouldn't have put any puzzles in at all, right? Because I think that would probably be a less interesting game. But like I think doing the platforming is kind of in itself an exercise in in creative problem solving because you know you have x number of like maneuvers that you can do you can jump you can run up walls you can run along walls etc um and so whenever you work out the combination of things that you need to do in order to get past a particular set of obstacles you're you're kind of solving a puzzle that way and that feels to me like the most coherent like expression of kind of interacting with the game's world um Anything beyond that kind of feels a little bit like, oh, okay, we're, we're doing this, but also there's there's some stuff in there almost for the sake of it being a puzzle. Um, so I kind of just would almost prefer a game where you just kind of do a lot of running and flipping and stuff, but then, uh, like I say, I don't know that that would be a better game. So I, I don't know now. You've stumped me. I'd like to talk about um, the platforming um, as a puzzle, um, because in general, I think that Prince of Persia's platforming segments are pretty like linear. Um, and there's only, I guess, a few instances throughout the game where I felt like I had uh, multiple routes that I could potentially go through. Um, did you guys find it satisfying figuring out um, which, you know, poles to swing on and the, the walls to climb up, etc.? Uh, in my experience, once I had started going in a direction, uh, I knew what to do most of the time. I might be thrown off by the camera angle for a couple of seconds, but once I'd started, I was fine. But there were multiple times in this game where I was running around for five minutes trying to discover what it was I needed to do to begin the next platforming bit. And 
both of those times was during these more puzzly bits. So I think my experience kind of tracks with Chris's in that I think that those sections of the games where you do puzzles end up not working particularly well. And I think the way Warrior Within does them is better because it kind of integrates these levers and moving platforms and everything. Um, like it's more to do with aligning platforms correctly with levers uh, to give you a path forwards. And I think that that works better than say the light puzzle in the library, uh, which just felt like a lot of faffing about. So I guess Warrior Within kind of goes out of its way a little bit to integrate the I guess the action of you completing the puzzle with the result of you being able to continue, right? Because if you if you solve mm-hmm. the puzzle in such a way that you've then given yourself a path you can take, that's more. Um, I was going to seamless, maybe isn't quite the right word, but it's more integrated than when you just solve a puzzle and then a door opens and you can walk through it. I suppose with Sands of Time, I felt like the best. I guess, um, I guess when the the platforming for me was the most skill testing was when there was this time or timing component to them. Like uh, in the prison tower, there were multiple times where you needed to like jump off the wall at the right time, um, or you needed to put make these uh, these ledges pop out, and then you needed to jump up them fast enough before they slotted back into the wall. Um, in the, it's in these sections that I thought that they integrated this like puzzling aspect with the platforming the best. Um, and I felt like pretty good when I got to the end of it. Listen, guys, let's have a music break and then we'll um, we'll talk a bit more about the platforming as a whole because I think there's a lot to the platforming and I'd like to go into uh, some more detail. Does that sound all right with you guys? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, let's let's start with you, James. What, um, what song have you picked for us um, today? So... I made it about, I guess, like 80% through the game, and I was thinking about the game while not playing it, and it occurred to me that, like, I couldn't remember any of the music at one point. Um, Right up until the very end of the game, um, when you finally arrive at the Tower of Dawn and this new battle theme starts playing, and I just, like, turned my head and was like, this sounds excellent, and I was like, I knew then... Um, that that was the song, you know, out of every song in the game was the only one I remembered. That was the song I wanted to share, um, and it was Tower of Dawn. Um, I thought it was very striking and had a great use of vocals throughout. Um, and I was really glad that it got to stick around for most of the combat for the rest of the game. So uh, this is Tower of Dawn.
That was Tower of Dawn. Definitely the best song in the soundtrack. They're mostly because it's the only one I can remember, unfortunately. Um, did you guys find the soundtrack to be more memorable than I did? I've got to say, um, I was pretty high on this soundtrack. Uh, back when I was in high school, uh, I played Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, and a good friend of mine was a huge fan of this band called The Tea Party. It's a Canadian um as Chris identified them as Moroccan roll, uh, which is kind of like a rock and roll band that uses a lot of Eastern influences in their music. And uh, for reference, the Tea Party has nothing to do with the modern political movement. This is uh, this has got it's uh, it's just a name, uh, and I like this band a lot. And the composer of Prince of Persia's soundtrack is Stuart Chatwood who is the keyboard player for the Tea Party. So I've got kind of got a nostalgic connection to this music, and I know that's not what we do here, but unfortunately my taste in music is just my taste in music. I can't really I can't really be objective when it comes to my taste in music. I either like something or I don't, and I like this music. I think that it does Eastern music right, as opposed to something like the song in Hitman 2 that James was so fond of. This feels more authentically Middle Eastern to me than most takes on Middle Eastern music. I mean, it has all of these like tacked on guitar riffs over the over the top. It feels like it's got these Eastern influences with this other cultures music shoved into it at times, which I thought was a bit not authentic at times. Um, in addition to that, I found a lot of the music and even more so the sound clips or like the sound effects in the game sounded like they were, I don't know how to describe it, overly compressed, low fidelity. Mm. Um, it felt like they were recorded at a pretty low rate um, and I found it very noticeable immediately. Um, it wasn't so bad for the music itself, but, you know, sound as a whole, I found it kind of detrimental. I don't know that I found it detrimental. I think you can definitely notice that it doesn't... I think compressed is probably the right thing to think about. I think it has been pretty heavily, you know, compressed so that the, the frequencies all kind of muddy up and it all goes a bit weird. Um, but I, I thought the soundtrack as a whole works quite well. And I, I am quite a fan of the the approach of taking... Um, the sound of like the the culture that the game is set in and then kind of mashing it up with some some other things so like dynasty warriors um soundtrack does a lot of kind of mixing um east asian kind of music with with metal sort of riffs and that kind of thing and i quite like that but i think the the purpose of a game soundtrack isn't always to be like the best music that you would just like listen to right it's it's to augment the whole experience mm. better and be the most cohesive and i think sansa time does a really good job actually in using silence because there's a lot of time where there's really not any music at all. And then when it does kick back in, you're like, oh, this is intense now. Um, and so I think what's going on in, in the soundscape, um, is that a word? I've made it up anyway. Um, it lends itself to kind of a, a good overall cohesive experience. And I think that's what a good soundtrack does. The, the, the metal influences, I think, worked a bit better for me in Warrior Within, which had this like edgier vibe going for it, I'm going to say. like I felt like it fit the the theme of the game a lot better there. Yeah, I, I just can't get behind this idea that the guitars are tacked on because, and maybe this is because of my familiarity with the Tea Party, but he's a musician who has been doing this fusion of rock with Eastern music for such a long time that it feels like a far more natural meeting of genres than any other take on Middle Eastern music that we've done on the podcast so far. So is it authentically Middle Eastern in the sense that 
this music just came from the Middle East? No, but in a way, it's more playing to the strengths and produces a superior sound to a Western developer just aping uh, what they perceive to be generic Middle Eastern music. There, there's something more, there's more craftsmanship at work here than this kind of music that we normally do. I don't want to be too low on the soundtrack. I didn't hate it. It's just that I think that the the idea that I didn't remember most of it is, you know, itself a bit of a criticism. Like, there was no point in this game where I was listening to the music and thought, you know, I'm having a worse experience because of it. It's just that only one of the sound, you know, only one of the songs on the soundtrack was memorable for me. Alrighty, let's let's talk platforming. So, Prince of Persia: Sands of Time and also Warrior Within is a 3D platformer, and it has a lot of platforming. But it's not platforming in the sense that Mario 64 or Banjo Kazooie or Ratchet and Clank or any of those kind of more open-ended 3D platformers have platforming. It's more modular and constrained in how you interact with the environment. And that that may sound like a bad thing at first, but it actually produces a blend of platforming that's fairly unique. So the idea is that there are objects in the environment that you can uh, jump on. For example, you can jump on a pole. Uh, You press A and you'll jump on this pole. And if you hold down the trigger, you'll start swinging on that pole. Uh, You release yourself from that pole and you land against a wall. You now have an opportunity to kick off that wall by pressing A at the perfect time. And then when you sail back up at that wall, you might automatically grab a platform that you can then climb up onto. And the game's platforming is effectively entirely designed around this kind of platforming. It's more about climbing and clinging and platforming off specific objects in specific ways than a freeform platforming experience. There's a lot less standing jumping, that's for sure. Like there's no, you're not standing on platforms and just the challenges to time jumping at the right time. Like this game feels almost like activating like scripted things. Like when you jump in this game, you don't have the freedom that you would when jumping in Mario. Like if you point in a direction and press jump, the prince will generally jump from the correct spot to the correct spot automatically so it feels very like he's snapping into place and then doing the jump rather than you know the skill being to time the jump although there are times when you're running along walls because you can run along walls where you have to jump at the right time um, in order to grab a ledge it's very it's very modular it feels like prince of persia sends a time has all of these little platforming bits that you know they can put together in any number of ways to create a, a satisfying platforming experience. Yeah. And so so let's let's talk a little about it about how we feel about this. Chris, do you do you enjoy the platforming in the Prince of Persia games? You've played a lot of them, so probably, but but tell us what you think. <laughs> no, I, I do enjoy it. I think it's something that it does um particularly well or like it's probably the thing that the games do best right out of the things that they that they try and do in their gameplay um i don't know whether there was other stuff doing a similar thing before but certainly a lot of things since have kind of tried to integrate a similar i guess sense of satisfaction in in just moving through an environment right and like you say there's there's old old school platforming which is kind of largely about jumping from one thing to another and making sure you land in the right place um 
uh, something I, I had totally forgotten is that you can't freely jump in Sands of Time. Um, you can you can jump contextually if you're approaching a thing with a drop and you need to jump over the drop. But if you press the jump button normally while you're moving, it's a roll, um, mm-hmm. which I had just kind of forgotten about. So the skill is less kind of like positioning yourself in the right place that your feet will will hit somewhere and more about stringing together the right sequence of things that you will kind of move through this environment really, really easily. Um, and it is very linear, but I think it would probably have been really hard to be not linear and still be satisfying because to make all of the routes work would be so hard. And I think a really good modern example of this is how the first Mirror's Edge game is is pretty linear and I think really satisfying because every way from A to B is a really good way to take, whereas Catalyst, the sequel, is open world, so you can take a lot more routes. And that means that a lot of them aren't as as fun, basically. Mirror's Edge is actually pretty close to a first-person Prince of Persia game, honestly. It's the closest thing I can think of, yeah. Uh, yeah, a modern example I would use is like Uncharted, although um, Nathan Drake is much less acrobatic than the Prince. Um, and in those games, you're primarily platforming through clambering and jumping on ledges and it's hanging on ledges rather than, you know, running on walls and swinging from poles and ropes and, you know, spinning around on stalactites um i actually think that the platforming in this game is better than in the modern uncharted games Um, and i really always really enjoy when we come back and play these older games and we experience something that's better than the modern counterparts It, it always feels really special i think it's really fun like it just feels good to jump from one thing to another in this game like um chris said i think it would probably be a worse game if it was uh, less linear because you know there's this this level of confusion probably doesn't add anything it just feels good to string moves together really quickly right there's this level of satisfaction to be able to do all of these things snappily um, for example if you jump onto a pole and spin around it um, if you time it right you can swing jump swing jump swing jump without ever having to stop um, and when you get the hang of that, it feels really good. I just, I, I really enjoyed all of the platforming sections in this game. And I was like, I was worried that they wouldn't have been as good as they were um, in Warrior Within, but I absolutely think they're just as good. Yeah, they're either just as good or very close. Uh, what One of the things that I think sets it, you know how you said Uncharted has a lot of climbing to it? Prince mm. of Persia has climbing bits, but if it was just climbing, the game would suck as well. It kind yeah. of uses climbing bits to break up the action. I think that another thing that these games do fantastically is their level design conveys a sense of building scale that is really, really satisfying. You start on the ground floor, and a lot of the time, there's effectively three stories of platforming above you that you have to ascend. But, you know, you're not just going up a ladder. You're kind of like swinging off poles and running on walls. You do a bit of climbing. You're leaping across some columns and so on and so forth. And the final climbing section of the game is just extremely cool because you start all the way down the bottom and you just gradually ascend to the top demonstrating every skill that you've learned over the course of the game. And I think that level design, sense of scale, um, the way that each and every level kind of almost has a narrative to it as you as you go through the level, um, it feels great every single time. Uh, the platforming in these games is still superb to this day. And to this day, Sands of Time and Warrior Within are still 
some of the most fun I've had with 3D platformers. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Sands of Time does this does this great. The challenge isn't quite up to Warrior Within, and I would I would edge Warrior Within above it, mainly because Warrior Within builds a little on what is present on Sands of Time and can feel a little less clunky. There's stuff like rope swinging that I, I just don't really like how it feels in this game. They just cut it entirely in Warrior, right? I remember. Well, they, they put that... ropes on walls so that you can use them to extend your wall runs instead. Yeah, because I, yeah, I remember getting to the rope swinging bit and being like, huh, this is new. This is weird. I thought there'd just be less. Um, I thought it was weird that it, I didn't find it in Warrior Within. That, that's an interesting point saying you, you thought it would be less, right? Like, I think the. The temptation with sequels sometimes is not to do better, but to do more. Essentially, like, let's just, let's just tack on yeah. new things that you can do. Um, but I think, from what I remember of them, certainly Warrior Within does kind of keep the core elements like as smooth as they are here, while adding a couple mm-hmm. of other bits as well. But I think the funny thing about Sands of Time is I think it's quite an easy game, like in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think it's it's really not that difficult to get through all the platforming sections. But when you get to the end, you feel like such a fucking badass anyway. Yeah, and it's because of that thing Patrick mentioned with the sense of scale like every time i got to the top of a big tower and you got to look down on all those platforms you know you jumped and swung over it feels really good you feel like hey i did that i got to the top of this tower um something that i think prince of persia does way better than uncharted specifically is that as you said it's an easy game right like you have the ability to rewind time so if you fuck up a jump you can just rewind time and do the jump again um, but in Uncharted, you'd never fall, because you, and because you don't have this time rewind power, you feel less prone to falling, so that sense of danger isn't there. Like, even though the sense of danger in Prince of Persia is kind of an illusion, right, because you're never really going to game over while platforming, um, it does feel like you could actually fall, because you do and rewind, whereas in Uncharted, you never fall. Um, so I felt that there was this, like, I don't know, it lent this sense of danger um, that, you know, helped my experience with Prince of Persia. It is funny we're only talking about the rewind feature now because at release, (laughs) that was the thing. I I guess the wall running and the rewinding were the two big things. But in the end, it ends up being a minor part of the experience, an important one, though, because occasionally and most of the time the game's pretty good but occasionally the camera angles can screw you over uh, where you think you can jump to something and you can't but this would normally be a huge problem in a platformer right it's like i tried to jump there and because it gave me a stupid camera angle i couldn't make it i didn't lose and die because of my lack of ability i died because of the stupid camera angle in sense of time it's just a non-issue like it's fine for there to be some shitty camera angles throughout and you know it's all it's mostly fixed camera angles while you're platforming because it, if if it gives you a bad camera angle you just rewind and try again and i think that it kind of like does a lot to patch potential issues and frustrations that may have arisen from this style of platform one thing that i think warrior within actually does better than this game is its use of the time rewinding power like, I was waiting for it to be used in puzzles, like, the whole game, and it never came. Like, in Warrior Within, there was multiple, you know, times where you would slow down time in order to get under a closing gate quickly. Uh, you never really do that in this game. I never felt the need to, um, and I kind of missed that. Like, the whole story conceit is about this dagger, and I felt like, 
it wasn't emphasized enough in the gameplay. Like, sure, it was good against, you know, enemies, but that that was about it, right? Like, it was just kind of a crutch for me being bad jumping mostly. I think that's an interesting point, because I think it, it will prompt you at some points and tell you, like, hey, by the way, you can tap the rewind button to slow down time, but I think it'll only ever do that in combat, um, which is useful, but actually you can also use it to help you get past, for example, like, things where you have to time platforming sections so you've got to get past something that's moving quickly or whatever but i don't think it ever prompts you to really do that um which is interesting but i do i know you guys don't like to talk about kind of the development as much but like my understanding of it is that they came up with this mechanic first of being able to rewind time specifically because it's so frustrating when you die and have to kind of go back ages especially when loading screens are horrendously long um and then built the story around that so the whole plot of the sands of time and the the time travel plot comes out of the gameplay mechanic which i just think is a, i think that's a really cool way of doing it because i really like when games integrate the story in the gameplay and one little detail i really love that i probably wouldn't have noticed if they hadn't done it but right at the start when the prince gets the dagger he immediately rewinds time because something starts falling on his head and then when you regain mm -hmm. control of him he has one less than a full complement of sand tanks because he's just used one in that <laughs> scene and i'm like that's such a lovely little detail just to integrate the story with the gameplay um that could very easily just not have been done and i wouldn't have noticed but because it was there i was like that's cool how, how did you feel about the story beat where the prince fell off a bridge and he didn't rewind time despite yeah, the that, nine sand tanks i had so hard i was like <laughs> he's even got it in his hand just press yeah. the button I had full sand too. It was like, ugh. We need to get him into the prison. How are we going to do it? I don't know. Just make him fucking fall down. I don't care. <laughs> but I guess if you had no sand and then he rewound town, you'd be like, wait a second. I didn't have sand there. But yeah, it was it was kind of a weird, weird point. Like maybe if the dagger got knocked out of his hands first, they could have done that. And then, you know, he picked it up later. I could have believed it, but it kind of, it, it did stand out to me. Hey, um. Another thing um, regarding integrating gameplay uh, into the story, I thought the game did a pretty good job of having the platforming elements be believable objects in the world. Like, there were a lot of crumbling, you know, pieces of ruin around the world. It wasn't just like there were these, you know, magic Mario platforms everywhere. Like, the, the world was broken in believable ways. Um, and, you know, there was, like, flagpoles where it made sense to be and, you know, wires hanging where it made sense to be in a lot of cases. It didn't do it perfectly all the time, um, but it did it enough that I enjoyed it, especially during the final ascent. Yeah, there's always going to be a little bit of stretching of suspension of disbelief when things just happen to line up in a way that you can interact with them to progress, but like you said, <laughs> yeah. I think that it, it does a good job of kind of contextually placing things that make sense in the environment, at least. Um, which I... The enemies in the game I find kind of interesting on a similar level, because they are the people of the palace, right, who've been transformed by the sands, um, and yet they all seem to be like weapon wielders of some sort i would have found it cool if you could kind of just come across a bunch of peasants who just had no idea how to fight and you well i was murder gonna say then, then you then you murder them this yeah, is but, very yeah. suspicious chris very suspicious yeah I just, I just, <laughs> and, then, and then you get to feel pity and walk past them and the prince is like i felt so sad that my actions had led to this and it's a nice moment but no my mind did go to murder them so the only time they did enemy placement well, like the only time they did a good job of integrating the inner placement with the story was when you get to the king's like harem chamber and you have to fight all of, you know, his concubines who've mm. been turned into monsters. Like it made sense for those enemy types to be more prominent there. 
But there wasn't really any other time in the game where I felt like the enemies I was fighting made sense uh, for the area that I was in. I disagree with that. I think that um, they use a particular type of enemy in the jails, uh, the people with the chains and the people with the big hammers, who I guess I viewed more as jailers or you know your brute force soldiers and when you go to the guard barracks you only fight guard variants it's hard with such a limited roster of enemies but there has been some thought put into the placement of these enemies even you know you had those women like they were more in the baths area for example um it wasn't perfect but it they did put a bit more effort into it than you're suggesting they did a bit um like, all of those enemies appeared in large numbers in weird spots at times. Like, during the elevator sequence, those prisoner enemies were there in swarms, yep. um, which didn't make a heap of sense to me. Like, um, I had um, Streets of Rage... Streets of Rage 2 flashbacks in that elevator ascent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this seems a good time to talk um, about actually fighting enemies. Yeah, sure. Should we... Um, Another music break? Yeah, we can do one more, Patrick. It's your turn. Um, what did you pick? So, um, as I said, I was much higher on the music than James. I thought it was um, excellent. Um, the song that I chose is called Lost in the Crips. Uh, it plays during a far more melancholic moment in the game. I thought it would provide a ne- nice contrast to the more energized battle theme that um, that James picked. So this is Lost in the Crips. That was Lost in the Crypts, uh, a very on-theme pick for Patrick Arthur, who just loves his, uh, you know, undead and necromancy-themed, <laughs> uh, you know, things in life. Um, I just saw this pick coming a mile away, um, but I'm glad, because it was, you know, a decent song. Um, let's talk about the combat, because in the second game, I really didn't like the combat. That was that was the deal-breaker for me for Warrior Within. Um how did you guys feel about it this time around? Um, Patrick, you loved it in that game. Did you love it as much in this? Which is a, it's quite a, it's quite a bit of a step back from Warrior Rhythm, right? 
the combat in this game is complete ass. It <laughs> is the worst part of this game by far, and I hated it. I it's so incredibly simplistic and repetitive, and enemy encounters go on forever. Like you you only fight four or five enemies at a time, but sometimes you'll be facing five to six waves of four or five enemies and every enemy is disp- once you understand how to dispose of an enemy um it is exactly the same for that enemy for the rest of the game if an enemy gets taken down by you doing a jump button a swing and a dagger hit which you can just input ahead of time that will kill that enemy a hundred percent of the time so all you do is go from enemy to enemy input the button command that counters them, rinse and repeat 30 times. I hate the combat in this game. It's really bad. Man, this is like the experience I had with the sequel where I just did the same thing over and over and over again and it was really boring. I have to say that it's mostly mirrored here as well, although the the art of um, jump attacking people is more fun than slowly choking everyone out. <laughs> um, so I didn't latch. I actually didn't loathe it as much here, um, but I still didn't enjoy it. Like you said, it's very flowcharty. Enemy encounters will usually comprise of one to two different enemy types, each of who has like I guess a weakness. Like you said, like uh, the big dude, you can jump over, slash him. Or you know some of the some of the weapon units uh, you need to use the dagger on. So what you'll do is you'll take out all the little guys to charge up your dagger, and then you'll one by one stab each of the others in the chest and slash them once. Uh, I thought that the combat was okay when you're like figuring out the two moves you need to beat the encounter. But once you've figured out the moves, it's just a matter of, like, doing them ad nauseum until the the encounter's over, when there's, like, 30 enemies. I felt like the combat in this game would be much improved if every single encounter had, like, literally half the amount of enemies um, that it does currently. Because, like you, it gets real tedious real fast. Yeah, I I was so... um interested to hear what you guys thought especially after listening to the warrior within episode and knowing that james literally just did the same thing on every enemy because (laughs) it really is the same if not a little bit worse here i mean you you basically either do you jump over an enemy slash them dagger them or you Mm. jump off a wall and do the little torpedo thing right that that kind of will solve 99 percent of your problems and then you can just deal with the rest when when they're left i mean admittedly that is a little bit more interesting i guess than just holding on to someone until they die um i think there's kind of a little bit of invulnerability enemies don't seem to they don't seem to start attacking you when you're finishing off another enemy although if they've already started the animation you can get hit which is a bit annoying because they will eventually get back up um that uh that immunity added a lot to my enjoyment of the well mm. i wouldn't say enjoyment but it stopped me hating the game right like in these fights you're usually surrounded by like six dudes if they all started trying to attack you while you were like stabbing a guy on the ground you'd never get anywhere just be yeah such a clusterfuck i'm very glad they made that decision yeah i think it's the game would be i think markedly improved by like you said cussing all the encounters in in half basically um and you can't even like you can't even do the awesome move you can do in warrior within where you do the run up the wall and then kind of the badass corkscrew swipe off it because you have to put your sword away in sounds of time to run up walls because otherwise the wall run block the wall run button is the block button um which seems like a weird combination of things but yeah i think um i'm a big fan of speedruns so i watched a couple of speedruns of this and they 
almost always go out of their way to just avoid as much of the combat as possible um so depending on the on the the, the restrictions they're using either just kind of out of bounds clip to get out of the room entirely or finish it off as quickly as you can because in some cases you, you have to do the combat but i think it adds like up to eight minutes per encounter and this is people doing it as quickly as humanly possible so like i just i i really wish the combat had either been better or just less there isn't even like a difficulty option in the game like you can't just like put it on easy and you know breeze through all the combat there's you know there's one difficulty so you're kind of stuck with slogging through it it is uh pretty funny the game eventually rewards you with a sword that just one shots enemies but while you're being <laughs> rewarded for getting through the encounters faster, I was literally sitting there just mashing square or or yeah. X or whatever control you have. It's just like pressing one button. I'm like, how have they made the combat less interesting by the end game <laughs> than it was when it was so bad to begin with? Yeah, it's, fine. It's, it's a moment of relief that you get to skip it. And then it's a moment of, wait, but now it sucks even more somehow. I, yeah. yeah, like when I got the sword, it was like this moment of catharsis because I was like, oh, thank fuck. I just get to skip through all these shitty encounters. And then I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it's all gone. Like the combat system just like threw half of itself in the bin. Um, I'll also add that there are other combat encounters apart from the main ones. There are some animals you fight, uh, birds, beetles, and bats. I hate the birds. And they are a waste of space. Why yeah. are they here? What what do they add to the experience? The beetles you mash square on, the bats you stay in place and don't do anything for five seconds or you wait for them to gather up and fly at you, and the birds you sit in place holding the block button down and then attack after they've attacked you. I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you exactly what the birds added to my experience. About twenty minutes because you know, <laughs> it was a bit where I was walking along. I had to go along a ledge, and this fucking bird just kept attacking, and I could, I just couldn't get the timing quite right. Something about the wind-up animation just made me think it's coming now. Slash. Okay, now he's attacking, but I don't have time to slash again, and I would fall off, have to rewind until I ran out of tanks because I could just never get the bastard thing right. So I, I really did not like the birds like i'm maybe i would have been okay with um some more interesting variants in encounter like if there had been kind of god of war style puzzle-y bosses and i think the later installments do do a bit of that but really there's only there's only really one boss in this game i guess and even he's just kind of a bullet sponge version of a regular enemy who also happens to be your dad spoilers um you can actually just slow down time and hit him once because if you slow down time, people don't block. So that was fun. I see you've been watching speedruns. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I am of the opinion the combat is so bad. The game would have been better with no combat. Like I, I it's really that uninspired, unengaging. I think of it as a worse version of the Batman Arkham city combat. Yeah. where there's there's even and that the combat in that game is simple enough as is but at least it has a kind of rhythm to it where you're kind of trying to read information on the screen and respond in this game it's literally you see this enemy you input the commands to kill it and you move on to the next one uh so i uh, unless you I, I also wanted to bring up the one point in the game where i game over multiple times in the combat which is that the elevator? elevator scene yeah <laughs> yeah what the fuck <laughs> That was awful. It's so it's like something that I enjoyed in this game was that my companion didn't feel like a liability for the most of the game. Right up until this elevator where 
I just kept gaming over to her getting killed. It was like the first time she'd been that useless and suddenly, you know, she's got six dudes just like pounding her in the corner and just That's game a different over, thing. game over, game over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I was just thinking something to the effect of she can usually handle one or two guys at a time, but any more than that becomes a problem. And I was like, I shouldn't say that, but now you've just talked about her getting pounded in the corner. So but yeah, she's, she, she's interesting in that she she can handle herself t- to a limited extent, right? As long as you can keep like anything less than sort of one or two people off her she's generally okay sometimes she shoots you if you get in her way which i always thought yes was quite yes nice. that pissed me <laughs> off every time <laughs> the first time that happened to me i attacked her back and she actually took damage and then shot me again it was like yeah, i just don't know what i was expecting um i wanted to ask you guys did you think that the attacks in this game felt very like scripted it was like the way the the jumping worked like you didn't have this these natural sword swings at enemies you kind of like pressed attack towards an enemy and then he'd like snap into place and play this you know almost scripted animation each time it felt very unnatural like it was very limiting there wasn't a lot of interesting situations that could occur because you know every time you'd attack it would put you into these you know pre-scripted sequences rather than you know just a natural feeling fight it's also that there's no lock-on with the combat you can choose a direction to direct your attacks but the direction just kind of as you said locks you on uh to orientate yourself with the enemy and I know we bang on about Dark Souls, so I'm going to do it some more. The The thing I enjoy about Dark Souls combat is you have a lock-on option, but the more you play, the less you use the lock-on because it gives you a lot of freedom and control over your character when you don't have a lock-on. So yeah, whenever I play these games with uh, lock-on combat, it always feels stiff and unnatural to me. I think that for to be fair, I think for the purpose of Arkham City combo-y combat, it is appropriate. This is the only way that you can do this kind of combat. Like, I if it's not locking on, then I don't think it works to nearly the same degree. The thing that I find the most frustrating, I think, about the auto lock on is that when you're locked onto someone, you strafe around them and you cannot get away from them quickly. So in situations where Farah's mm-hmm. getting attacked somewhere behind you. You, you kind of have to break the lock-on by doing a bunch of acrobatics out of it, but more often than not, I found that the prince would end up deciding, oh, he's pressed the jump button, this must mean jump to the guy over here and not actually in the direction I wanted to go. So I think Dark Souls um, does allow you to strafe, I think, by holding block, right, and kind of walking around whoever you're locked onto, or you can just unlock on, but in yep. this case, it's, it's really very annoying because you almost never go for the guy you want. And I, I don't know whether, like, the... Uh, Batman Arkham or even the Sony Spider-Man style combat like saw this as an inspiration and built on it because it does kind of feel like a precursor to that but it definitely feels a lot uh what's the word shittier shittier. (laughs) I was um I was putting my sword away because it was restoring my free movement um that's a a good idea actually oh yeah yeah I didn't think about Um, that I would actually, like, a lot of times I would try to drink mid-combat. Um, the water in this game is fucking miracle juice, by the way. <laughs> Just every time you find, like, a pond or, like, sewage water, that you know, the prince just slurps it up. All his, you know, all his water is healed. I, uh, I, want, I want what water he has. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of occasions where I, like, killed someone in the water and then immediately drank from the water, and I was like, this doesn't seem hygienic. But it kind of reminds me a bit <laughs> of... Um, 
it reminds me a little bit of Far Cry 2, right? Where you could take you could take a bunch of damage from any source, which might include drowning. And then um, there was like a button that kind of restored you beyond the point of critical health. And there was a little animation that would come up and it might be pulling a stick out of yourself or a bullet or something. Um, and I always thought it was hilarious to just kind of repeatedly drown myself to the point of very nearly dying and then coming out, doing the little animation, pulling a bullet out and then being fine. And it feels a little bit like that to me. That reminds me, James, let's do Far Cry 2 sometime. We I should do that, that. yeah. yeah. It amused me too much um, when you were in the sewer and you could just make him drink sewer yeah. water forever. <laughs> it's like having him roll through it and drink it. Uh, that should have killed like, him. Why that would have been hilarious. That yeah. Why is that restoring his health so quickly? <laughs> it's always been a theme in the Prince of Persia series. Uh, and I mean, I know you didn't get the true ending, James, but the final sword you get if you get all the health upgrades is called the Water Sword. And the, the weakness, yeah. Well, the weakness of the Dahaka is water. Every time you get away from him, the water falls down to uh, give you a you know veil of safety. So, which makes a degree of sense because sand's being connected to time. If sand gets wet, it really can't do much. So, I, I always thought the water connection was kind of an interesting one. It's it's sort of purity and also it sludges sand right up. So it's kind of a double like significance, I guess. Yeah, it, it's silly, but it's consistent, so I, I don't really have a problem with it. Patrick, real question. Would you drink the prince's bathwater? Yeah. Uh, is it healing me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> then yes, absolutely. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> he can sell it on eBay for big bucks. It would sell very well. Um, yeah, so the combat sucks. Uh, there's no <laughs> way around it. Um, it's really bad. It's even worse than in Warrior Within, like, at least in that game if you're not me and you can actually stomach you know being creative um you can you know make your own fun with the combat you can't do that in this game you like have to have to kill enemies in a certain way and it's just it's just boring it's just some of the most boring combat i've ever had to endure i just hate it uh, warrior within certainly makes the most effort in terms of improving things over sands of time in the combat like it really overhauls kind of how it handles combat entirely with you know combo systems and extra weapons and all kinds of things and i know i know it doesn't necessarily do that in a way that works for you but i think it i think it needed to do that because i think if you just try to repeat sands of time combat I, you'd just be burying yourself into a hole burying yourself in sand even Ah, mm. oh, um, that oh yeah. man yeah awful <laughs> um so when we did warrior within i like this game hated the combat and loved the platforming um was it just me or was the ratio of platforming to combat a lot higher in this game because honestly i found myself having more fun more consistently in this game and i think it was due to the fact that you do you know a greater degree of platforming than you do of combat so it wasn't as much of a problem for me here uh so the combat in warrior within is more challenging particularly if you're playing on hard which i'm pretty sure you were as well yeah because yeah. i made you play on hard. that, that was, was a mistake, mistake. <laughs> yeah but if you're playing the with the combat on hard it's challenging so you fail and die and in that sense i can see why it would take longer but a lot of the time in Prince of Persia Warrior Within, you move to an area and there's five enemies and that's it for that area. And then mm. you move on. Um, Warrior Within is also a longer game. So I, I wouldn't say the ratio is that that different. It's just that if you if the you know combat's more challenging and you're getting stuck on it and dying, then you're having to repeat the combat over and over again. Every time I stopped playing this game, it was because I just did a combat section. Like if I, I felt like if I'd just been doing platforming and platforming, um, it would have been fine. Um, 
when we did Sly Cooper, and this is a weird aside, um, something I brought up was that that game's enemies were more like platforming challenges than combat enemies in the traditional sense. Like you'd have a dude standing there um, periodically swinging his sword left and right, and all you'd have to do is jump over it and hit him. He wouldn't like engage you in combat. I thought that this game would be better if it just had token enemies like that because i feel like narratively you need to have enemies in this game but if they're just like you know additional platforming elements then i would have liked it a lot more like i appreciate um in sly and in like crash bandicoot which is the same thing that you know those games aren't about combat and they're about platforming but for you know the the feel of the game and the adventure and the narrative they have these token you know platforming enemies there i would have liked that a lot more than what they have here i i mean to me the way the the combat example we should be looking at is warrior within and i know that you found an exploit james and we've talked about that a lot but warrior within's combat system in my mind is not just good it's excellent like i love the combat system in warrior within and i think it's kind of sad that we moved away from that style of combat system and haven't really seen much like it moving forwards so I'm sure like the change you're suggesting would be an improvement for sure because the combat's so shitty, but I don't think it specifically needs that. It's just they didn't put a whole lot of work into the combat because it wasn't a focus of the game, and it's disappointing that we have to suffer through it today. So I think we've covered most of what the game has to offer. Did did either of you have any anything else you wanted to touch on? I think there's a couple of things that I wish the game had had that are like these really small details. Um, and I guess maybe it's kind of a, a side effect of looking at this game and playing it in the way that you guys do, where we're just looking at like, is this a good game today? And not really thinking about the nostalgia. Because there's mm. a couple of quality of life things. Like um, the fact that there's no subtitles annoys me because I just really like subtitles. I'm not hard of hearing, um, but I just like being able to read what's being said because I'm more of a reading person. Um, I hate not being able to skip cutscenes. I think you can skip like FMVs, but anything that's in the engine, which is the majority of stuff, you can yeah. skip. And that annoys the heck out of me. Um, and the final thing is that whenever you change the settings, which I did early on because I had to remap. Um, oh, so I mentioned to you guys before we started recording that I played this in kind of a weird way. So I played it on Steam, but I played it mostly like with my laptop literally on my lap. So I didn't have a controller or a mouse. I mapped everything, including the camera to the keyboard. Completely mad. Just completely I, madness, mad. Yeah. <laughs> I, will say, I, do, I don't necessarily recommend it. Um, I, will, I will say that. But so one of the first <laughs> things I did was some pretty extensive messing around in the, in the settings. And when I exited the settings, it said, there have been changes made to the settings. Would you like to keep them? And the options were yes, no, or cancel. And I was like, I have no idea what to press here. Like, and I just... <laughs> Whoever whoever wrote that needs to look at like user experience stuff because that was very confusing to me. I don't know if it'll annoy anybody else, but like literally us. Um, but when I was playing this game, whenever you save the game, um, your save file has this percentage next to it that tells you how far through the game you are, which was very useful for me. Um, you know, pacing myself for the, before the episode recording. But whenever you save your game you don't get to see the percentage until the next time you get to the save point. So I yep. was constantly like saving my game, watching the cutscene, getting out of the save, and then going back into it to check how far through the game I was. That was really <laughs> annoying. But That's I feel annoying. like like 
anyone else who isn't playing the game on a time limit like we were just wouldn't give a shit about that i did notice that and the other thing that annoyed me about the saves which is another really minor thing is that it defaults to creating a new save every time rather than overwriting the old one so by the end of it i probably had well i had one save for every save point that there was um <laughs> which is just messy but i guess i guess that's kind of good if you want to go back and replay a section right but I, that annoyed me for some reason i have something else to add it's not it's not like quality of life like you guys are talking about. It's a specific section of the game that I found really frustrating. There's a point in the game where you lose your rewind time powers. Yeah. And <laughs> and there's a specific jump or a specific like two jumps you do in a row after this happens that I just could not land consistently. Like it took me no joke six or seven tries and because you don't have your rewind powers you don't have that easy fix of oh i missed it let me adjust slightly and try again it's you fall to your death reload the save and it puts you back a decent way and you have to climb back up again and try again and that specific moment um it was fine (laughs) later on but that i don't know if you know what i'm talking about but that there's a specific moment that drove me crazy like i i didn't know what i was doing wrong I know the moment you're talking about. Um, so because I had such a bad experience with Warrior Within on the PC version, um, I opted instead to emulate the PS2 version of the game. So at that moment, I was like, fuck this, and I made like a save a save state, like just mm-hmm. where it would have saved me so I didn't have to wait for all the, you know, the tedious loading and whatever to get back into the action. So it wasn't... That's kind of, that's kind of a weirdly meta thing to do in this game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think all three of the games in, in the Sands of Time trilogy, so this one, Warrior Within and Two Thrones, at some point take away, like, either your time rewinding ability or a thing that's been really useful. Um, and it is almost inevitably just really annoying which kind of makes sense narratively it's like the low point Mm. in the story before you get to do the big cool stuff but it's still very annoying i think um sands of time at least starts giving you these frequent auto saves because i died a couple of times and i found that i was being barely put back like it was just a tiny amount so i think they tried to compensate by just giving you three times as many auto saves which you know mostly does the job it was literally that specific sequence of two jumps that i could not get right <laughs> drove me nuts so i hate those two jumps whoever designed them i'm coming after <laughs> you um just a broader question did you guys encounter any bugs with this game because like in warrior within like that ruined my experience i reckon (laughs) like there were multiple times where like i would walk through a corridor and the game would crash and i was afraid i wouldn't be able to progress um until like i got lucky and it didn't crash while walking through a corridor um i had none of those kinds of problems um when playing my version of the game i had no noticeable bugs at all which really surprised me i thought it was going to be a huge mess like the other one uh the only thing and I don't know if this is a GameCube specific thing, is whenever I went to save a game, my controller suddenly became kind of unresponsive and it would spaz out a bit. So I'd be pressing up and down and it had delayed triggers, but then it's kind of sorted itself out. But that was literally my only issue. I, with my wonderful keyboard setup, did not have this problem. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Certainly a keyboard setup, and the less said about it, the better. Suddenly it sounds like a good idea, though, huh? (laughs) (laughs) No. No, it does not. (laughs) No? Uh, Okay. It's worth a try. (laughs) Much less painful uh, in that regard than uh, Warrior Within. 
Alrighty, I think um, we've covered most of what we wanted to with our discussions. Oh, we should we should quickly touch on the aesthetics and the visuals, something that we are often quite lackadaisical we just, about. We just skip over. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the main thing I wanted to say about the aesthetics of this game is that I think they're better than Warrior Within. And I think they're better than um, the later Prince of Persia games until maybe the 2008 reboot. Because... They have more color and life to them than the drab bleakness of the sequels in this series. So, um, yes, they're kind of low resolution. Yes, it's not going to blow your mind away graphically. But art direction-wise, I thought it was quite a pretty-looking game, and I enjoyed playing through it and experiencing the visuals. Um, I enjoyed it somewhat i thought the fmv like pre-rendered cutscenes held up really well for the most part like i thought they all looked really good anytime the characters were talking to each other using their in-game models it was kind of like ugh. um it doesn't look so good like the hair was clipping through their face quite often that kind of thing that said like it never got in my way um i didn't think this was a great looking game but, you know, the main thing is it doesn't get in your way. And some of the, like, the set pieces do actually look quite cool. Like in the planetarium, I enjoyed that. Um, and I enjoyed the visual design of the final and sense, specifically the scale. Um, that said, like, this isn't the kind of game that I would tell anybody to play for the visuals. But, you know, it does <laughs> the job, right? Yeah, I, I think I would agree with with both of you. Like, the, the polygon count is obviously pretty low. The the animations, certainly with people talking, are not great. There's 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 one specific bit where if you go into a cutscene with your sword out, um, the prince kind of puts his hands on a railing and leans over, and the sword just goes straight through his head, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> that's not that's not really a visuals thing so much as, I guess, just a, a, a odd thing that can happen. But, um, yeah, I think, like you said, Pat, I think overall it looks pretty nice, and I, I like games that have more colour to them. I think the aesthetic kind of design is more important than the actual technical fidelity or whatever although mm. i don't think it looks too bad upscaled actually um but i definitely prefer this style where you can kind of see quite clearly what's going on than what warrior within does and i think two thrones maybe goes a little bit back but it's still quite brown gray um so i definitely prefer being able to see more clearly like what's happening Alrighty, so for reals this time i think we're ready to wrap up so um let's get to our final impressions and recommendations chris Take it away. What what did you think of Prince of Persia: Sands of Time? Has it stood the test of time? Has it stood the test of time? I think so. I think it's still worth playing today, and I think that's probably about the the best thing you can say for it. I think there's there's other games now that have taken some of the concepts in terms of like freedom of movement um, and have tried to do similar things. I think Mirror's Edge is a really good example. Something like Assassin's Creed maybe is is a similar philosophy, but is is a lot slower. So I think actually Sands of Time is still one of the best examples of just really satisfying free movement. Um, and also there's a guard who tries to get you to work on the palace defense system and he's <laughs> worth paying just, he, he's worth the price of admission. Uh, James. So when we did Warrior Within, my experience was marred not only by my approach to the combat, which was very repetitive, but also the myriad bugs that plagued my playthrough from start to finish, and honestly, probably the number one reason for me disliking the game. Um, thankfully, Sands of Time is largely free of any of those bugs, um, and although the combat system in a vacuum is far worse, my experience with it... Um, was like slightly better because the act of jumping over and slashing enemies repeatedly is slightly more fun than slowly choking things out one by one. 
That said, the platforming is still just as excellent, um, and in some areas I think is better some ways um, than the platforming in Warrior Within, which I thought was fantastic even then in a game that I didn't like. And here, you know, when it's not marred by all of these technical issues, I think that I can actually... It, it pushes me over the edge, and I can recommend uh, Prince of Persia Sands of Time. For me, this was a much more enjoyable experience from start to finish, um, largely because my game wasn't crashing every 10 minutes, um, but also because I felt that the quantity of platforming was much higher here, and that's what the game's good at. So in a game that's focusing you know, on the good stuff, uh, I think Sands of Time is still a great game to play today, and, you know, its platforming is better than its contemporary counterparts in things like Uncharted. Uh, I enjoyed it much more here, so would absolutely recommend people uh, give it a go if they haven't already. Um, I would also recommend Prince of Persia Sands of Time. It's a much softer recommend than Warrior Within, though. Um, Prince of Persia Sands of Time has a better story, better aesthetics, uh, better charm and feel to it than warrior within because warrior within's feel is edgy and grimdark and pretty crappy honestly but when it comes to platforming and combat warrior within pips it in both ways however sands of times platforming is just so good and so unique that you just want all you can get and it is very very enjoyable the shitty combat is something that you can probably mostly ignore, and I would still say I got more enjoyment from it, even though I had to deal with the combat. I think that if you're the kind of person who values storytelling and feel over mechanics, you're probably the kind of person that would even prefer Sands of Time to a game like Warrior Within. Because Warrior Within is more of a... To me, I think it ends up being a far superior mechanical experience. And because I tend to be that kind of video game player, it appeals to me a lot more. Sands of Time is not as mechanically driven, but the platforming is. And the platforming is so good that I still got to recommend it. It's it's just fun. It's just fun. And it's some some of my favorite platforming that I've engaged with ever. So it gets a recommend, but it's a very flawed title, and you have to be prepared to deal with the shitty combat in order to get to the good parts. The main takeaway is that more games should have a wall run, because that shit's just cool. <laughs> I, uh, have, have either of you played the the Star Wars game, the Jedi the Jedi game with wall running? No. Like, is that one the of the dark, ones? No, it's the Dark Souls-like one. Does a Dark Souls like Star Wars game? How old is it? It's like a couple of years old. What's it called? Like you, um, <laughs> uh, Fallen Order. Yeah, Fallen oh, Order. Uh, Fallen yeah, Order. that right. has wall running in it. That has wall running. Maybe I'll play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard it's from what I've seen. It's janky as fuck. But I mean, if it's got wall running, it's got wall running. But yeah, yeah. I, I think in general you do have to go back to these Prince of Persia games to get this kind of platforming. So. That gives, and because the platforming is so good and unique, that really makes it stand out. Uh, we often talk about how if a game's doing something unique, like when we played Katamari Damacy, I mean, we haven't seen many iterations on the Katamari Damacy formula, right? So yeah. if you want to play, have a unique and fun experience, well, yes, it is worth playing an old game because that's the only way to have that experience. And I think that the Prince of Persia games do fit into that mold. 
Sands of Time's getting remade soon, isn't it? I thought I heard something about that on the Vine. It yeah, is, I'd yeah. be excited to play that. I hope that uh, they nail the platforming. Like, if they don't, I'll be so, so sad about it. I hope they remove the combat. It, it does <laughs> look like it's. Uh, it looks like it's kind of going to be very similar in terms of keeping a lot of the stuff basically the same. So more of almost more like a remaster than a remake from the from mm-hmm. the info they've released so far. I think there's definitely some stuff where I hope they do actually borrow from you know later developments and, and make things better but I, I i wouldn't be surprised if it hues quite close to the original and actually i'll be very interested to yeah to i'm I'm, ke- I'm excited for it. unfortunately it was another victim of covid so we don't quite know when it's coming i think it was due out yeah due out earlier this year or something originally but uh as with everything it's been pushed back uh into the sands of time so with that uh we are the retrospectors podcast you can check out all of our content on our website which is rspodcast.net we have all of our links to all of our episodes and a bunch of articles that james and i have written on video games both old and new i just put up my um resident evil remake article heavily encourage you to check that out and yell at me if i'm wrong Um, Most importantly, we've got a link to our Discord server, and our Discord server is how we primarily interact with you guys. So we would love if you would drop in, join the conversation slash arguments, drop us a recommend, or just tell us what you think about the episode. Um, We have been joined today by our delightful guest, Chris Durston. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Where can the good people of the Retrospectors podcast find you? In my house, but please don't come to it. Um, No, (laughs) thank you for having me. It's been really fun. Um, the main the main place I'm most active on the internet is is Twitter where I'm at Chris Durston ish um, because Chris Durston was taken for some like weird reason I didn't think anyone else would have it but they do um, <laughs> or on chrisdurston.com you can find links to stuff that I've written on various websites about video games and things um, or to buy the book that collects those things and the book is called Video Games Art Theory Design Philosophy because I thought I would get as many searchable words into the title um, as possible but like yeah this is this has been this has been really fun because I think every previous time I've appeared on a, a podcast or a stream um, the hosts have been American and at some point a really bad British accent's come up um, so I mean we could we could have done one just if we'd been talking about like you know some of the some of the dubious choices here but um just thank yourself think yourself grateful that I didn't try and do a bad Australian accent and um I, I was gonna ask like is there a particular place if people want to check out your podcast because I'm sure there's lots of people like me who are interested in the idea of philosophy but they you know like you said it's very intimidating like is there a particular starting point should they just start at episode one or do you pick a video game you're interested in use that to hone in on an episode or uh is there a methodology to figuring out where to start with your pod um i i would suggest starting from the beginning because the way that it's kind of laid out is such that it picks um kind of it does things kind of in modules right like a like a 101 course in in college might do or something um so the first one was morality and the second one was um epistemology i think so each each episode in the module is going to refer to previous ones because there's some kind of interconnected stuff so the best place to start is probably at the beginning but yeah um you can find that by searching for philosophiraga which is a mix of the words philosophy and firaga like the spell um and it's i feel like i need to spell it out loud but i'll just we'll just make sure there are links <laughs> yeah we'll we'll put we'll put links to everything I in the show notes so so people know where to reach you uh, sorry to keep bugging you about this but is there like a complexity build up as the as the show goes on or is it just you're covering different schools because i know that one of the things about philosophy is the philosophers are building on the previous works of other philosophers so do you kind of build up to to Kant or is he or is he you know early on um so I'm trying to 
to keep everything accessible so the podcast is on a, a little bit of a hiatus at the moment because just life mm. keeps throwing things at me that take time which is very annoying um uh, if, if i had the dagger of time i would probably just procrastinate <laughs> actually but um that's beside the point so um i i don't ever want to get to the point where like if someone were to listen to an episode they would be like holy fucking shit i need to catch up on two thousand years of philosophy here um but mm. like yeah i think i think it is interesting how like there's kind of a philosophy of everything right like it's it's more a way of thinking than a, a field in itself um and so there's there's been a, a lot of iteration and things like that but i'll always try and talk about um where an idea came from and how it's kind of being being treated these days in the same breath rather than go here's the history and then separately somewhere else here's the complicated version that people have got to now because i think doing things that way really does make a lot of people feel like philosophy is this like ivory tower thing that's just completely inaccessible and i don't mm. think it should be like that yeah and and that's what i love about your show it it's immediately accessible because you're talking about video games and i'm like i know i know video games <laughs> so <laughs> yeah pe people know about video games and that's yeah it's a good jumping off point yeah so thank you once again for joining us chris thank you everyone for listening um that was Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. James, what are we doing next fortnight? I picked this game, so what? 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 Have, what have I? What are you going to force me to play over the next couple of weeks? Um, so we're going for another recommendation game. Um, and I was recommended that we give Pikmin one a try. Um, which I've never played before. Um, it's going to be you know a weird, uh, puzzly RTS kind of hybrid. Um, Patrick, are you familiar with the series at all? Never played it ever. I not. I haven't even like really seen it at a friend's house, but I, I definitely know of it because it's you know one of those quirky games that people know about. My only concern about this game is that I thought that the control scheme of this game was really important, and but apparently what people have said is that a mouse does a fairly good simulacrum of a Wiimote, so playing it emulated is apparently just fine. Yeah, I'll be uh, hitting you up for those uh, mouse controls because I uh, I remember playing 3 on my Wii U when that was a real console um, and finding it a bit difficult to control, but I'm kind of excited to play because I always like going for these like weird, quirky games that you kind of can't play anywhere else. I find that uh, doing something brand new is always exciting, um, and I, I, I love um innovation and seeing how you know people make these weird games work just map everything to keyboard it'll be fine <laughs> I, <laughs> I i do hate motion controls like uh playing super mario odyssey having specific moves that you can only activate with you know by you know shaking the the control away it made me so angry like i remember when i discovered that i just stopped playing for the night i just turned it off I don't want to deal I, um, with it. I recently realized that, so our cutoff date for the show is 2005. Um, and I realized that um, a game that came out in 2005 was Nintendogs. And the idea of Patrick playing that, like, in his living room and making the dog do the trick by voice command is just, like, so, so funny to me. Um, but I don't think I'll be able to force that on either of us. Yeah, I'm glad we're never doing that game ever. <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll catch you all next fortnight for Pikmin. Have a good one, everyone. See you. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye.